Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 will be our scripture this morning. This is the word of God. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, the deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Just read through the whole chapter there, but it gives us good context. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we now turn our attention to your word in Jonah chapter 2, we ask you for your help that you would open up our eyes so that we may behold the wonderful things in your word. You would satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love so we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In March 2012, I got off of a plane in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Uh, totally unprepared for what I was about to experience there. Uh, I went with a couple of men from my church who had been there before, uh, but it was my first time there. Baggage claim and customs was an adventure. When we finally got out to the parking lot for the first time, I saw the truck that we would be taking on our four-hour drive across the island to the orphanage where we were going to be uh, working at for the week. It was a, a little blue straight truck with a two-seater cab. The, that meant, of course, that uh, there weren't enough room, was enough room in that little cab for all of us uh, to be inside of it. So most of us were going to be sitting on the back of the straight truck and uh, uh, had a few benches uh, around the edge of the back that we could sit on. And around the sides of the, of the back of the, the straight truck, there was a, a metal cage. Uh, the metal cage, of course, was there to uh, keep its cargo uh, and or its passengers from escaping. Um, and that's where we, we, we rode in that truck um, the whole way out to uh, that, that orphanage. Uh, we stopped first at a convenience store, a convenience store um, not too far away from the, from the airport. And um, outside of this uh, convenience store, there were uh, camouflaged men armed with machine guns. Um, who stood at the door, and then there's one more uh, inside of the store. Uh, we then made our way, um, after picking up some supplies, I made our way to the center of uh, the city of Port-au-Prince, which was filled with people everywhere, and uh, the streets were crowded with many cars and trucks who didn't seem to be following any uh, traffic laws um, or any set pattern. Um, it was just kind of basically every man for himself. Uh, there on the roads. 
Uh, two years earlier, Port-au-Prince had been severely damaged by a 7.0 magnitude earthquake that struck not far from the capital city of Haiti. So as we drove through the city, it seemed to me um, like almost every building was damaged, um, with, with many of the buildings completely destroyed. Our driver intentionally took us uh, by some of the, the main sites um, of the city that we had heard about through uh, our, our media news outlets. Um, when the earthquake happened, we saw the presidential palace in Haiti. Um, two years later, uh, was still in ruins. Um, uh, one of the major domes in that uh, presidential palace was kind of off of its, off of its foundation, just kind of hanging over the top um, of the building. Um, nothing had been done to it since the earthquake. Um, we also saw the uh, uh, Port-au-Prince Cathedral, uh, which had its roof completely collapsed into it. And I just looked up on the internet uh, this week, and nothing's been done to that building either. It's, it's still as it was. It's still in, in ruins, not been torn down or repaired. And that was kind of like uh, most of what I saw in that city. It had suffered an incredible amount of, of damage. It didn't seem like anything had been repaired. And instead of uh, repairing these concrete and stucco structures, they had just put up a bunch of tents, thousands of tents um, along the edges of the city. Blue tent cities and then white tent cities all around the city. What I remember more about that drive through the city of Port-au-Prince, though, wasn't what I saw, it was what I smelled. The stench of that city was overwhelming. The exhaust fumes of burning gas and oil. Uh, for most of the tent cities, they did not have proper sanitation. So the smell of human and animal waste hung in the air. And being completely surrounded by so many collapsed and abandoned buildings, who knows what else was contributing to the smell of that city, it just made me nauseous as you're driving through it. So in my first few hours in Haiti, I, I had never felt so far away from my family. Never felt so far away from my country and everything else that gave me comfort. I witnessed devastation, destruction, and despair as I had never seen before. Even though our guide, uh, who had been in Haiti immediately following the 2010 uh, earthquake, kept telling us how much better everything looked compared to what it was like then. On the streets of, of uh, Port-au-Prince, I saw person after person who looked malnourished, with eyes that appeared sunken in, uh, who had looks of desperation on their faces, and yet... <clears throat> Yet in my time there, I also witnessed the joy of the little orphan girls who were being loved and cared for by an orphanage managed and supported by Christians. These girls couldn't speak English, but would excitedly talk to me and help me to wash my hands whenever we came in for lunch 
and they would exuberantly sing and dance to praise songs in their chapel services and would recite memory verses in their Creole language which declared the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. So I came away from that experience with a full heart as I saw that even in the lowliest of places, God's presence was clearly evident. And that's what uh, our main theme from our passage this morning is. Even in the lowest of lows, we are not beyond the reach of God's grace. Even in the lowest of lows, we are not beyond the reach of God's grace. So this is what we find here in chapter 2. Uh, Jonah, chapter 2, he is in the, the lowest of places, the darkest of places. And yet, as he tells us in these verses, he was not beyond the reach of God's saving hand. When he was beyond the reach of any man who would have been able to help him, God was there, and God was incredibly gracious to him. So there are, there are three main things that we will meditate on from this passage this morning. Uh, two that are directly in the passage, and the third is something the passage is pointing us toward. So first, we'll look at down in the depths of distress, then returning to the Lord, and then finally the one who sent or the, the one who went into the depths for us. So first, down in the depths of distress. Jonah 2, verses 1 through 6 here. The last time that we left Jonah, he was in the belly of a great fish. We see that in verse 17, which many people believe should be included as verse 1 of chapter 2. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, we, of course, often tell the story of Jonah being in the belly of a whale, uh, but in fact, the text never says whale, it just says a great fish. Could be a whale. Um, we're not told exactly what kind of fish it was. It was a great fish, a huge fish. Uh, but, but Jonah's prayer from inside that fish lets us know a little about his experience just prior to being rescued by that fish. That's what Jonah is describing for us in verses 2 through 6, where we see this theme of what it's like to be in the depths, to be in despair, to be in the lowest of low places. Take a look in your Bibles with me, and listen how Jonah describes it. Look at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah had been on a ship in the Mediterranean Sea, in the middle of an awful, tempestuous storm. The storm was so terrifying that the experienced sailors on board that ship, who had no doubt lived through uh, several storms at sea before, believed there was no hope of them surviving this one. Jonah had told them that the storm was not just a bit of bad luck, that this storm was intentional. It was purposeful. It was sent. The sovereign God, who was the creator of the earth and the sea, was the one who sent the storm because Jonah was trying to run away from him. So Jonah instructed the sailors that if the storm was ever going to calm down, that they must throw him into the sea since God had sent the storm 
on account of his rebelliousness. The sailors then reluctantly hurled Jonah overboard into the deep sea without a life jacket, without a life preserver. Jonah had nothing to keep him from sinking into the heart of the sea. And so verse 3 describes that experience for Jonah. Here he is. He's trying to stay afloat in the water. The waves of the sea fighting up against him, making it harder and harder to keep his head above water so he can continue to breathe until finally Jonah begins to sink. The waves overwhelm him. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean. Um, the last time where I actually got to go into the water um, in the ocean was when um, our daughter Esther was two years old. Uh, we brought her to Virginia Beach, and I waded out into the Atlantic Ocean um, in, that, uh, in the water there and, and remember feeling those waves you know, lift me up and then drop me back down again. Lift me up and then drop me back down again. Over and over again, being, being lifted up when I, couldn't, when I couldn't reach my feet on the sandy bottom of the seabed and then brought back down again. And oh, there's, it's still there. And the seabed is still there. I'm still able to feel the ground under me. Now, I've never been um, in the middle of the ocean where my feet couldn't safely touch the bottom. So I really can't imagine how terrifyingly exhausting it would have been for Jonah to have been thrown up and down, thrown up and down again by waves trying like mad to keep his head above water until ultimately his strength just gave way and he sunk down into the water. That's what we read about here in verses 5 and 6. Look at verses 5 and 6. The water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So he's talking about the water, of course, coming over him, the deep surrounding him. He's sinking down into the sea, and all of a sudden he's feel, feel, feeling himself wrapped up by, by seaweed under the water, being pulled down toward the sandbars there at the bottom of the sea. So hear what Jonah is describing. He fully believed that he was sinking into the sea as that seaweed is wrapping around his head and neck and he was about to sink down upon those sandbars, he believed he was sinking into the darkness of death. He believed there was, there was absolutely no hope at all for his survival. He was a goner. Death is the place that every person dreads even thinking about. It is a place or the condition where there is no longer any hope of rescue. It is a place of darkness, of deep darkness. In fact, in the very middle of that famous well-known psalm, Psalm 23, in verse 4, David wrote those familiar words, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and in the Hebrew it literally says the valley of dark darkness. It's dark darkness. Death closes us off from the light of life. It is a place of such darkness that one is never able to find their way out again. 
And that's where Jonah believed that he sank into, into that sea. Look back again at verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. The term Sheol in Hebrew uh, was known as the place of the dead. It's mentioned quite often in the Old Testament, mainly throughout the Psalms, where it's often paralleled with the pit. It's the pit. Uh, with Jonah also mentioned uh, there in verse 6, the pit. It's a place where people are separated from the presence of God. They're cut off from memory, cut off from any hope of return. Listen again how Jonah describes his experience in verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So I'm going to assume that none of us in here have ever had the experience of being hurled off of a ship into the middle of the ocean and almost drowning. But I know that almost all of us have at one time or another felt like the whole world was caving in on us. You have been in the depths. You have been in the depths of distress. You have felt alone. You have felt like you were driven away from the sight of God. You are in the midst of deep darkness. Or maybe that's where you feel like you're at today. Maybe you have been living there for some time now. Feeling forsaken. Feeling cast off into the deep. Feeling your life slipping away. Jonah and much of the Psalms show us that we shouldn't be surprised when God's people are in the depths of sorrow and suffering. That in fact, it's, it's a normal part of being one of God's people. I mean, here are just a few examples that we find in the Psalms of God's people uh, describing this. Here, uh, King David describes it in, in Psalm 18, verses 4 through 6. He says, The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol, there's that word again, place of the dead, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me, in my distress... I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. And then in Psalm 88, verses 3 through 4, again, one of God's people describing his experience. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. And then Psalm 116, verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So God's people often find themselves, they find their troubles beating on them like waves of the sea. And they feel more and more disoriented as they're going through that experience. Like they can't feel the bottom. Like they have nothing to stand on. Like they aren't in control anymore. Like the, like the current of disappointment, the current of sorrow or failing health 
is pulling them further and further away from the shoreline. So what do God's people do then? What can we do? Well, as you saw in those, those, those psalms that I, that I quoted from, they cried out to the Lord. They called out to the Lord for help. We pray. Again, as, as verse 2 says, uh, from, from Jonah 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Late one night this week, I read from Psalm chapter 9 with my son Luther before he went to bed. Um, and I was thinking about the sermon, had, had Jonah in the belly of, of Sheol on my mind. And, and reading Psalm 9, uh, these verses just struck me as exactly what we need to hear when we are in the depths of distress. Here's, here's Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So those are some verses that maybe you should put in your phone. Highlight in in the notes app of your phone. Put it somewhere. Write it on a card. Have those verses or verses like them available for when you need them. Brothers and sisters, we are in the depths of distress. When we are in the depths of distress, we are not beyond the reach of God's power. We are not beyond his grace. Next thing we see is Jonah returning to the Lord. Him returning to the Lord. Now, of course, we know why Jonah was in the mess he was. It wasn't something that just happened to him. Um, while he was going about his business, you know, faithfully and obediently serving the Lord, we know that Jonah ended up drowning in the ocean because he was running away from the Lord. He was directly disobeying the Lord's command. We, we can say he was getting what, what he deserved. He was trying to get out of the Lord's call on his life, and it caught up with him. But look back there at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, Jonah says into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So we are given a brief description of Jonah's attempted flight away from the presence of the Lord. Um, uh, Back in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, let's let's, uh, go back there, chapter 1, verse 3. There it says, Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, or flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So that's, that's what Jonah did. That's what, that's what got him into the trouble he was in. He was going away from the presence of the Lord. But I want you to notice how the author describes the direction Jonah was moving in. He went down to Joppa and found a ship. He paid his fare and went down into it. Again, when we try to run away from the presence of the Lord, we're going down. We're going down towards death, down towards the grave, down away from life. That was where Jonah was heading. And now here in chapter 2, what do we see? He's going down. His descent 
continues as he sinks down into the deep, down towards Sheol, the place of the dead. We are to remember that this descent began with Jonah first turning away from the word of the Lord. And when we make the same move, we also are beginning to go down ourselves, descending towards the darkness of death. When you know that what you are doing is wrong, you know it's wrong, you know it's against what God says in his word, and yet you continue to do it. You intentionally continue to do it, refusing to change, refusing to turn. You're on your descent. You're on your descent downward. You're sinking into the deep. When you know the right thing that you ought to do in your relationship with someone else, and yet you refuse to do it, again, you're on your descent towards darkness, running away from the light running away from the life of God and his good way of love for you and for your family. But as we are shown here in Jonah chapter 2, even when you are in the depths of your sin, you're in the depths of your rebellion, you are in the midst of the mess that you have gotten yourself into, there is a way out. There is a way back. You are not beyond his reach. You can return to the Lord. We are first shown how Jonah returned to the Lord by, ironically, doing the very thing that the idolatrous captain of the ship had commanded him to do back uh, earlier in in chapter 1, verse 6. So first, let's let's look at verses 1 and 2 here in chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Now compare that with what the captain urged him to do back in verse 6 of chapter 1. So the captain came and said to him, said to Jonah, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So when we go astray and we surround ourselves with those who don't know the Lord, sometimes the Lord will even speak through those unbelievers to call us back to himself. Sometimes they will be the ones who direct us right back to the Lord. That's what the Lord does here with Jonah. For he does the very thing that this unbelieving captain was commanding him to do. It took him a little while. But he does it. He prayed to the Lord his God. He called out to the Lord out of his distress, and the Lord answered him. So Jonah returned to the Lord, and the first step he took back was prayer. It was a cry for help. So my friends, that is all it takes for you to begin moving back toward where you need to be. Just a simple prayer. Just a cry for help. Just simply acknowledge your need for the Lord's mercy and grace. Admit and acknowledge the mess that you've made by taking your life into your own hands. 
giving up control and, and placing your life back into the Lord's strong and compassionate hands, that is the place to begin. Pray to the Lord. Call out to him in the midst of your distress. And there is another return that Jonah makes here. And that is a return to the Lord's word. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this prayer is filled with language that is also found in many of the Psalms, uh, the ones that I I quoted for you earlier, and and several more. Uh, And the Psalms are just reflections upon the covenant promises that the Lord had made to the patriarchs in the first five books of the Bible, uh, known as the the Pentateuch. Uh, Jonah called to mind those Psalms. He remembered those promises of God towards his people. He knew that if he called to the Lord out of his distress, that the Lord would answer him. He, he, he believed that the Lord is a stronghold in times of trouble, that he will not forsake those who trust in him. And Jonah learned that from God's revealed word. And we can learn those amazing promises as well and hide them in our own hearts. We can make use of them in times of great trial. I mean, consider the place where Jonah made use of them. Where was he? Sinking down into the ocean. In the belly of a fish. Where was the word of God hidden in his heart? That's, where our, uh, that's where, what our hearts need to be filled with as well. God's word, God's promises. There's a reason why the verses that we are encouraging you to memorize, the same verses that we say together as our call to worship each week, are called fighter verses. They're called fighter verses. We want you to think of them as words that will help you to fight for faith when your faith and hope are being challenged. We want those verses to be on your heart and mind when you are lying in the hospital bed, when you are not able to sleep at night, when you sit down after getting one of those dreaded phone calls announcing terrible and heartbreaking news, when you are sitting next to your loved one who is gasping for their last breaths. God's word, his promises, and his truth will help you to fight for faith and build you back up when you are weak. So don't just return to the Lord's presence through prayer, but also return to the Lord's word. And it is in the word of the Lord where you will also find the very one who made it possible for us in the midst of, the deep, uh, in the midst of deep distress to find a way out, to have hope, to have a way of return. And that is the one who went into the depths for us. Now the one detail that I failed to mention in the, uh, uh, is that this prayer that Jonah is praying here is really a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord for Jonah's salvation. Notice that Jonah's praying from the belly of the fish. Uh, This prayer was not a request to be saved from the fish. It is a prayer of thanksgiving for Jonah having been saved already by the fish. Recall back in verse 17 of chapter 1, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days And three nights. Now, for New Testament Christians like us, that verse should call to mind something that the Lord Jesus said about himself prior to his death and resurrection. Jesus compares himself with Jonah 
in Matthew chapter 12. So in Matthew chapter 12, uh, we have uh, some scribes and Pharisees challenging Jesus, challenging Jesus uh, to, to provide for them a sign to prove that he really was the Messiah. And Jesus responded to their demand for a sign in this way. He said, verses 39 and 40 of Matthew chapter 12, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That is in the grave. First of all, if you have, are having trouble believing this story in Jonah, that Jonah was actually saved, by, uh, saved from a watery grave by being swallowed up by a great fish and then lived to tell about the, to, to tell about the story, well, you need to know Jesus believed it was true. Jesus believed the story of Jonah was true. The Son of God verified that it actually took place. And secondly, what was Jesus talking about there in this uh, passage, this, this sign of Jonah? Well, it was what he accomplished for us in his death and resurrection. What Jonah felt like he had experienced death by being cast into the heart of the sea, he likened that experience to being in the belly of Sheol, being in the midst of the place of darkness and death, being completely separated from the presence of God. But in fact, he was saved by God from Sheol. He didn't have to experience it. He didn't have to die. He descended about as close as one could come to death before being rescued from it. But our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, well, he went in all the way. He went in all the way. He sunk down into death. He willingly went into the darkness of Sheol. He was forsaken by God and took upon himself the weight of the guilt of every one of God's people who have turned away from him in sin and unbelief. And he took those sins, he took them as far away from us as he could, all the way into Sheol, all the way into the grave. And just as Jonah experienced a resurrection by being thrown back on dry land, out of the clutches of death and the sea, so our Lord Jesus was raised again on the third day. He walked out of the grave, proving once and for all that the grave is not beyond the power of God. So my friends, the one main reason why you can have hope when you are in the midst of the deepest and darkest times of distress is because Jesus has already been there for you. The reason why you will never have to experience the worst suffering that you could imagine, the suffering of God's wrath in hell, forever separated from his love and grace, is because Christ already suffered what your sins deserve in his death on the cross for you. He went through the agony. 
He endured the shame. He suffered through the darkness. He was cast out and forsaken by God his Father so that all those who know his name, who put their trust in him, will never be forsaken, will never be cast out of God's presence. For you know, O Lord, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Because Jesus was forsaken for us, the Lord will never forsake those who seek him. So are you among those who know this? Are you among those who trust in this promise? Do you believe that your acceptance before God depends entirely upon what Jesus Christ suffered for you? If you are, well then you are the ones who will celebrate with us around the Lord's table this morning.